I'm back. Yes, uh, I'm back from uh, the French Riviera, and uh, this episode of East Screen West Screen, I will be talking about what happened at this year's film festival, uh, the award winners, a uh, new film by Peter Chan, and uh, a new um, record holder for the highest-grossing Indian film in China. And Paul will have a review of the Hong Kong film Imprisoned: Survival Guide for the Rich and Prodigal. Yes. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong, China, and other parts of Asia. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me once again from his writing desk inside Stanley Prison is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Uh, and you know that I'll be at Alcatraz. I wouldn't be at Stanley. Come on. San Francisco pride. Man. But isn't that just like a tourist attraction now? I mean, they don't actually uh, put people in there anymore. Uh oh, that's what they tell you. <laughs> It's haunted, right? Or, yeah. yeah. It, it, wasn't there like an old short-lived uh, TV series that uh, was kind of like Lost-ish or something that was based there? Um, um, shoot, what was it? There was, yeah. It was like one of those shows that only lasted like a season, right? Yeah, like I don't even think it lasted a full season. I think it was like a yeah, half-season thing and it was it was cut. But uh, It was by freaking Lindelof, that, that yeah, guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so welcome back. You've been, uh, you, I guess, uh, sunning yourself over on the French Riviera in between watching lots and lots of movies let, let me ask you this when you go there because you've been there this isn't your first time right you've been there a couple times this is my third um, time i mean do you speak french i mean how how what is it like getting around is it is it pretty receptive to foreigners coming over because of all the influx of people you know tourism well actually when outside the festival uh, Cannes is also a very popular touristy town but I guess for mostly French people um but yeah during the festival I mean there's a huge influx of foreigners um of course I have to speak English um but but the thing is they they you know if they don't speak English they're not going to speak English to you but they understand what you're saying so you just make your request so when I'm in the supermarket and I want a bag I just say oh can I have a bag and it's like here just hang your bag which I, I don't know if it's their personality because they're French or if it's just that they don't speak English. But yeah, they, just hand, they know what you're asking. So they just hand mm. you a bag. Uh, or the kebab guy, you know, it's just like very simple English. Like, oh, you want a kebab? Do you want chips? Like chips? Yes? No? Ketchup? Mayo? You know, very single, single mm. vocabulary. And it's very easy to get around that way. But uh, no, you can't exactly sit around and ask around like, oh, how's that film the competition? Yeah, it's a great film. You can't really do that with everyone in, in Cannes, obviously. Mm. And so, it, I mean, what is a... What is a typical day like for you during cons? Is it just film after film after film, or do you take breaks in between and uh, you know go sunbathing, or you know um, how do you schedule your time while you're there? Well, the thing is, only a film critic would have that kind of schedule, you know, like they film after film after film, and and then writing. But because I'm there as a as a journalist, and my my first and my my first and you know most important job is to get stories, um, and 
theoretically, I should have been walking around the film, spending my time walking around the film market, um, talking to companies and asking about sales deals. And then uh, before, like about four Four or five days before I go to Cannes, I start setting up interviews with um, people who are there, like filmmakers who are there with their films, uh, working with PR companies, waiting for them to give me a time and, and things like that. So those are my like uh, my number one priority, um, setting up, setting, you know, organizing my days around interviews and seminars and, and uh, possible market walks, whatever. But um, because I'm a film geek, I, I like watching films. So I just sort of force a few films um, uh, in my uh, 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 schedule, and that's that's how my day goes. And this year, actually, I was there for a super short time. Actually, I was only there for six days. I came back early. Sorry, I didn't tell you, Paul. We could have recorded this episode a lot earlier, but um, yeah, I only I only had six days at the festival. So actually, it was even more intense because I still managed to watch eight movies um, and did three interviews and covered a seminar and things like that. So actually, it was super intense for me this year. Hmm. So you didn't actually get a lot of free time to, you know, do do other stuff. Basically, you were there working the whole time. Yeah, pretty much. No one really, anyone who is really there to be at Cannes doesn't have time. Like, you talk to critics, of course, they'll be watching movies. Um, um, but if you talk to, like, other people who work in the market and stuff like that, they say, oh, I, I spent all day in, indoors and I haven't watched any movies. And then I'm leaving. I'm going back to my, to my home country early. Mm. So a lot of people actually don't get to do any of these nice, you know, like they can't walk around the closet or the beach and they can't, they can't eat like, even a decent lunch outside. So uh, and at night, you know, it's all about parties and I'm not a partying guy. Um, first, I don't like little parties and I want to fit in a movie or two if I have time and otherwise I'll be working in the apartment. But the worst thing is my jet and, you know, my jet lag hits around 9, 10 p.m. So I start, you know, I start drifting off. I start nodding off. Um, which is quite terrible because I literally slept through an entire film during its world premiere. Mm. And it's a film I really don't want to watch. Uh, so for me, th- you know, that intensity really comes at, and we really feel the intensity at night when, uh, when like that jet lag hits and I'm like, I'm supposed to be writing. No, I got to write. I got to write. Or I want a movie where I got to watch this movie or I have dinner with people and I should be, I should be talking to this person and instead, no, I'm really, really sleepy. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a pretty intense 10, 11 days there. Mm. Well, there you have it, folks. I mean, for all of you being envious of Kevin and his uh, jet-setting lifestyle, this is the real side of the film business where it's just uh, sleepless nights and sleeping in movies and uh, not getting to spend nearly as much time doing the things you'd like to be doing because you're basically working. It's a job, right? <laughs> it's a job. And then, and then of course, you, you can go sunbathe whenever you want. But you yeah. know that that's you know that's for slackers you know those so, who shouldn't really be those are people with yellow badges Paul yellow badges <laughs> the lowly yellow badges okay I have the blue all right I work <laughs> all right well that's all good and it's glad that you made it safely back and you're back amongst us here once again in Hong Kong and uh, so I guess it's time to turn it back over to you fully at the news desk once again with some news. All right, here at the news desk, and just, you know, uh, we were talking about Cannes, the, the festival. Of course, it'd be fair to talk about this year's winners. Um, like I said before, you know, when we talked about the announcement of the, of the schedule, um, there are a lot of huge Asian films this year, and uh, luckily a few of them actually won things. Um, 
and in the in the uncertain regard sidebar, uh, we had director Kurosawa Kiyoshi, uh, whose journey to the shore played uh, in the in uh, in that section. He won best director. Uh, the film was a very uh, meditative, dreamy drama about a husband and wife who take a journey, uh, as the title says, journey to the shore. Um, when the spirit of the, the the husband comes back and tells his Exchange exchange wife that he wants to go and thank these people who who have helped him along the way um, over the last couple of years, um, and it, actually a lot of the, the critical um, word on that film was was very mixed. So actually for me it was quite a surprise. Um, Indian film Fly Away Solo um, was one of the two winners of the Promising Future Award. Uh, I guess uh, to to award. Uh, new filmmakers who uh, have a uh, great potential uh, in the main competition um, with free films free Asian films like I said before the Koreda Hirokazu Japanese family drama our little sister uh, Jia Ke film um, mountains may depart and the Ho Shao Shen film the assassin uh, Ho Shao Shen came out the only winner of the of the free director award in the main competition Actually, it was also a surprise to many of the press because um, many people who saw the film uh, thought that it was easily a contender for the Palme d'Or, the, the top prize of the festival. Unfortunately, I only saw one of those three films and it's not none of the Chinese language films. Unfortunately, I came back before those films were screened, so I can't really confirm whether those films are really as, as brilliant as the local uh, the film critics who were there are saying. But... Um, yeah, uh, Ho Sha Shen now is the second Taiwanese uh, filmmaker to win the Best Director Prize after Edward Yang, Yang won for Yi Yi in the year 2000. Um, unfortunately, among like the 10, 15, 10 Asian films playing at this year's Cannes Film Festival or Anis Sidebars, these are the only three films that won. So, um, potentially was a very ex- great year for Asian films, but a little bit um, uh, uh, disappointing in the result. Um, but yeah, so another great year at the, at the Cannes Film Festival. And hopefully next year there will be more Asian films and uh, more prizes. Uh, let's see what, what happens there. Next up. Um, oh, sorry, Paul. No, up? I just... There was a little bit of hubbub, right, about uh, the assassin. And um, I guess uh, the media was really responsible for... Uh, making a big brouhaha over the nationality of um, uh, Shu Kei, right? Shu Chi? Uh, well, before that, the, the festival had mistakenly labeled the film as a Chinese film, which actually they're not completely wrong because the film is a China-Taiwan co-production. Um, even though it's representing Taiwan, um, putting China on that film is not completely wrong either. So there was already that mix-up. Um and then there was supposedly, and this is all like a huge misunderstanding, some uh, a Taiwan media said that um, uh, Xu Qi was labeled as a Chinese national uh, during the photo call section. A photo call is what uh, when the stars and the director of a film uh, playing in competition or I guess special screening or something, they, they, they go outside and they essentially stand around and let the press take photos. That's what a photo call is. Um, reportedly, during the photo call and the press or the press conference, Xu uh, Qi was identified as China from China, and then she actually you know, made a correction that she's Taiwanese. That never happened because, first of all, 
in photo call, no one ever identifies your nationality in photo call. Uh, you just stand there and let your, your photos be taken. And at the press conference, at, at your name label, there is no nationality next to your name label. So the whole thing was a totally made up thing by, by, by Taiwanese media. And it got picked up in China. And it really got the netizens angry because the official perspective of China, China is that um, Taiwan is not a sovereign nation, that Taiwan is part of China. And many, most nations in the world actually acknowledge that, as in they don't recognize Taiwan as a sovereign nation. Um, so, so netizens, Chinese netizens got really mad and, you know, saying Xu Qi shouldn't come and make money off of China. You hate China so much. And if you think Taiwan should be independent, then, you know, stop making money in China, blah, blah. This usual, you know, netizen brouhaha. Um, and at the same time, even the Taiwanese citizens were actually mad about the film because they felt that Ho Xiaoshan was selling out Taiwan by taking China money or spending Taiwan money to make a China story or making a Chinese film. So um, this film was already kind of uh, uh, um, a, a controversy among some of the more radical netizens uh, in this debate already. It just kind of got caught up. It wasn't really meant to be raising that kind of issue. Um, so... Yeah, clearly that the the wound is not is still very very deep in this in this conflict. Then there is no one way to to fix it because, you know, the you know both sides think they're right, and even Taiwanese people are kind of split about the so called Taiwan independence issue anyway. So um, this is kind of a touchy issue that would never be in a, be 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 even brought up if no one had brought it up. It's just something that's sort of there already, but just don't bring it up. Then no one's gonna talk about it. Just like your you know, that uncle who never shows up to family reunions who's been to prison or something, and then you don't bring it up. He's not upsetting, but you bring him up, then the whole family's going to get upset. Um, so it's it's that kind of issue. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, just uh, wanted to kind of clarify. I, I, don't, I didn't really know uh, a lot of the details behind it, but what I did read, it kind of seemed like it was the press trying to make some bones and then stir up some trouble. And um, I, my... My take was that it somehow was getting carried over to um, the actress um, Shu Chi, and, and I didn't think that it was really her being uh, political at all. So, oh no, she got she got cyberbullied like, the hell out of it of this thing, and it was very serious for her actually. Apparently, she had like an emotional breakdown when but she's when not she's not yeah. typically an outspoken, you know, uh, person. In, in the past, she hasn't been, right? Or has she? No, no, never. Yeah. Um, um, especially about this, because she needs to make a living in yeah, China. I mean, so. she, it's not like uh, here with, you know, uh, Chapman Cho, Toe and Giant Fat and, you know, these kinds of things. I don't, I just, I just didn't recall her ever, you know, being o overtly political. Um, so I was kind of surprised that there she was getting some of the blowback from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, onward and further into uh, some of the other news we have. Yeah, um, moving on from the... Well, not moving on from Can because uh, actually now we're going to talk about um, a piece of news that come came out during the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, director Peter Chan, uh, Hong Kong director Peter Chan, um, announced uh, during the Cannes Film Festival that his next film uh, will be a bio biopic. Um, he's going to be adapting... The autobiography of tennis player, tennis champion Ni Na, um, the Chinese tennis player champion Ni Na. Um, not much is known about the film because it's still sort of in the planning stages, but um, 
his writer, his dearest writer, Zhang Qi, will be adapting, writing an adaptation of her autobiography. Um, God, I forgot the name of it already. Uh, let me look this up real quickly. The name of the autobiography is... Need not my life, yeah. but yeah, the the book traces her her tough training and uh, her personal demons and you know her recovery from her her tennis injuries and things like that. Nina would not be starring in the film, so I didn't want to call it an autobiography. But she is going to be uh, as, as a consultant on the project, which me I guess means Peter Chan would have to be as respectful as possible. Um, I think I, I think this is Peter Chan's first biopic. Um, and clearly, this film is uh, aimed squarely at the mainland Chinese audience. Um, uh, an actress will be, I think, they're auditioning for actresses very soon, and uh, the film will be starting starting to shoot in the autumn uh, yeah. of the year. So it will come out sometime next year. Um, yeah, Paul, what what do you think about Peter Chan directing Chinese uh, tennis player? You know, he's a he's a hit or miss director for me of late. Um, especially with some of his more northern projects. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm not that interested in tennis, really. I mean, unless he decides to take it in a sort of Shaolin soccer direction and we get, like, Michelle Yeoh as Lina and she's going to do kung fu tennis against uh, Serena Williams lookalike or something. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure if this is a, this is a, a, a must-watch for me uh, in, in, in the theaters. This might be one that I kind of wait to video. I'm just not a tennis... I'm not a sports guy in general. Um, and so I don't like watching sports on TV. There's a... There's, you know... I think I'd rather have my nails pulled off my fingers than, than actually sit through an entire game of golf or, or tennis on television. Um, and watching movies about sports, typically it's you know, the underdog thing, bad news bears kind of thing. And that's kind of been done to death or it's a, you know, a character struggle. And I just don't know if there's a lot that's going to be interesting enough for me to want to, want to go and watch it. I mean, I, you know, it's an amazing story, you know, kind of like a Tiger Woods or, you know, Michael Jordan or any of these other players who are just so far ahead of their peers but I, as a as a narrative, it's just okay. You know they're great at what they do. Um, I'm not sure I want to sit through a two-hour movie. Um, you know, seeing somebody's interpretation of of that. That's just me. So <laughs> I don't. Know. Um, my, my my dad's been playing tennis every week for the last twenty thirty years. But anyway, I grew up <laughs> in tennis. But I'm, I'm not I'm not a huge tennis fan either. Actually, I'm scared. So. So I did not take offense. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, this, this is just my own personal thing. I'm not a sports guy. So for a sports movie, there has to be something really um, different and un unique, like, you know, a, a silly comedy or something like Shaolin Soccer, where they're, you know, really doing something extreme with, um, you know, with the take on it. Um, if it's just kind of a straight play, it's just something that's not for me. I mean, you know, golf, I, I would not watch a golf movie, but I loved Caddyshack, right? Um, so it's, it's that kind of thing. I mean, I don't, I, I I'm sure they're not going to go in a Caddyshack or a Shaolin Soccer kind of direction with this. So, uh, as a straight sort of dramatic thing, I, it's not really, uh, something that's going to draw me in. What might change that is depending on who they cast. 
Um, oh, I'm sure they're gonna cast someone big. I mean, this is yeah. a big role. Right? I mean, if they it's... cast like a uh, Fan Bingbing, uh, probably not. Nah, probably not <laughs> for me, you know. But if they get, you know, if they get somebody um, a bit more interesting in there, then maybe um, it'll be it'll be curious. I will be curious to see: do they go with a name, a big name, a big China name, or do they go with somebody new who actually looks like they can channel? Um, the character of Lena a bit more accurately. I think I think actually both approaches will work. I mean, you have a high profile rookie casting, um, but with a big high profile role, I think I think it will be equally as as effective as um, uh, having a big actress. And of course, having Nina as a consultant on the project that's kind of interesting because you kind of have to, you know, tell the story kind of through her eyes. And honestly, I don't think any person could be the most honest about themselves. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if Peter Chen can pull off that that angle without, you know, like an honest biography without having to like Maybe maybe he'll cast his wife. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what kind of prosthetic shoe have to put be, on to play be, that role. It'll be next year's golden chicken movie. <laughs> golden they'll, tennis. They'll call it the golden racket or something. Golden tennis. Yeah. Uh, yep. For those who, in in case you're not in the know, uh, Peter Chan's wife is Sandra M, the actress. So, yes, yeah, and uh, she's a great actress. She can do dramatic roles. Uh, she could, you know, but not <laughs> <laughs> maybe pull nah. it off. I don't know. Nina, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if not her, then Teresa Mo, right? Uh, her her counterpart. <laughs> Just make it into a into a Chinese New Year movie. We're all set. All right, moving on. All right, uh, last news story for the week. Um, China has a new, um, I guess, record holder for the highest-grossing Indian film, and uh, I guess it was a difficult record to beat, but because, you know, Indian films haven't really done, don't usually do well in China, and there haven't been that many Indian films playing in China, but PK, the um, Indian blockbuster starring Amir Khan um, from director Rajkumar Raj Hirani, who did uh, Free Idiots, which was also a huge hit here in Hong Kong, um, has now set a record, new record, as the highest-grossing Indian film in Hong Kong. They only did it in one weekend. Um, the film opened in India last Christmas, um, and it stars Amir Khan as an alien who comes to Earth and loses the remote for his um, spaceship uh, to go home. So in his, in his journey to find that remote, he sort of runs into um, uh, a, a huge battle with religious cults in India. Um, the film in one weekend uh, earned 38.1 million renminbi um, from approximately 1.04 million emissions over three days, which is not really not that big anymore these days uh, in the days of you know 500 million renminbi movies. Um, but it is now the highest grossing Indian films in, in China of all time. It um, Although there are a couple of you know footnotes to to note here is that the film first was cut by 19 minutes or 13 minutes um, from 151 minutes to 139 minutes in China, and um, most if not all prints of the film was dubbed, featuring Wang Baochang as the Amir Khan character. Uh, so it was localized and shortened for local audience and for local uh, consumption. Um, uh, it's not really the original version, uh, so to speak. Um, but anyway, it replaces. Doom 3, which was also edited by about 30 minutes in China um, as the highest grossing 
Indian film uh, in in China. Um, does this really it means that it's like a new renaissance for Indian films? Maybe not, because once again, it's still being it's still you know localized audience shortened and dubbed and stuff like that so there are you know certain things they have to do it's not really a big bollywood resurgent or, or a big bollywood blow up uh, in india but it's a sort of a step in the right direction increasing diversity in chinese cinema um paul not a big follower of bollywood i think uh you know there are certain films that pique my interest you know um especially science fiction films so going back to things like raw one and uh, what's the other crazy one about the robot that escapes me right now? Uh, I can't think of the name. But the robot isn't that Raw One? No, no. There's one before Raw One. Um, oh, called Robot. Is it Robot? I think it's called Robot. Yeah. Um, it it's uh it, it you know so this film I'm very interested to see because of the science fiction angle on it. You know him being an alien and and coming down into uh, and dealing with Indian culture. So I am kind of. Uh, excited to see it and three idiots was was a great great movie i really enjoyed that um and one that uh of course eric Tang borrowed liberally from in uh, one of his uh his uh new year lunar new year movies like um i want to say it's the the first uh house of no not not that not the house, of, the house what the i love hong kong one of the i think it's the first one yeah he, he borrows a, a scene basically directly from uh three idiots but uh hmm. it's um yeah pk I'm, I'm i'm kind of interested to see it and it's kind of weird because uh you know i'm i'm curious to see if it we get it in hong kong and if it plays well here because the title itself yes is is kind of foul language in cantonese terms but um so yeah, i don't need to be explained yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that will um be a factor in whether we get it over here we normally don't get um you know Indian films, but I'm wondering if we'll get this one just because of the connection to Three Idiots. We we do get Indian films here, actually. We do get Indian films. Um, it's a it's a day and date deal, but um, it's done through a, a one small distributor, and it's mo mostly aimed for an Indian audience. And yeah. the the ticket price exorbitant, um, but you still get to watch a day and date in in a Hong Kong cinema with a big audience. But um, actually for PK, um. Even that film did not play day and date here for some reason, and I thought it might have been a rights issue. It might have been because someone in Hong Kong bought the rights, but if someone in Hong Kong did buy the rights, then you know why hasn't it been released yet? So that's the kind of interesting factor. But yes, um, if you meant having a wide release, then then yes, Paul, you're right. Uh, we don't usually get wide releases of no. Bollywood films. Three, so the last one I believe was, was the last thing I can remember. Right? I mean, was no the one Queen. After? Queen last year. Uh, there was also a, a road movie uh, called You Don't Get Life a Second Chance. There was also, um, 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 gosh, what was that called already? Uh, the guy that went about the free guys kind of want to be hangover one. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but I did see it. Um, and Queen, Queen last year about the woman who uh, who gets dumped at the altar and goes on a Europe, uh, goes on her, her honeymoon by herself in Europe. That was mm. released last year. So at least one or two a year now after after Free Idiots. But this one, for some reason, did not get here. Mm. Well, I'm hopeful that uh, we might get it later, or at least on video. It's on it's on US iTunes if you want to check it out. Oh, it is? Okay. Well, yes, then, that's how I saw I'm, it. I'm yeah. there. That's, yeah. uh, that, that's good to know. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for our news this week. Let's take a short uh, musical interlude, and I'll be back with a review of Imprisoned, Survival Guide for the Rich and Prodigal.
All right, and we're back. So our film this week uh, has perhaps one of the longest titles ever in Hong Kong cinema history. Uh, Imprisoned, Survival Guide for the Rich and Prodigal. That is a mouthful. The uh, Chinese title is equally long, but I'm not even going to try and butcher that for you here. Um, this is a Category 3 comedy drama film, I, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, more on the comedy side than on the drama but it does get uh, a little bit dramatic towards the latter part uh, of the film. This film comes from uh, director Christopher Sun Lapgay, and um, I guess if you look over at his uh, filmography, uh, he's, I guess we'd consider him a fairly new director. He's really only listed as having three films under his belt, all three as Category 3 films, two of those as primarily sexy time films, that is 3D Sex and Zem Extre Extreme Ecstasy in 2011, and he's also credited with Sex and Zen 2, 4D Sexecution. However, this film, um, I don't remember it coming out here and they don't have a very detailed listing over on the Hong Kong Movie Database, so I'm wondering if this actually got released or was sent direct to video. Um, I'm not sure uh, on further details, but I'm not big into the uh, Category 3 uh, exploitation scene um, all that much, but I do know that 3D Sex and Zen um, made pretty big numbers here. We had a lot of traffic coming down from the mainland to watch it, and it was... Uh, um, it was widely talked about as sort of bringing back the Category 3 film um, into, and especially with the 3D gimmick that was attached to it. So here we have in 2015 this film um, from him. And uh, it's a very, very different film from uh, at least uh, the two that he's listed for. This film is uh, not really a sexy time film, even though it does uh, have the Category 3 rating. So... Uh, let me give a brief synopsis of the stories. Um, when Nelson, played by actor Gregory Wong, a spoiled Hong Kong rich kid gets involved in a DUI accident, he soon finds himself behind bars at Stanley Prison, serving an 18-month sentence. Uh, while there, he meets an array of the usual suspects that you would expect to find in prison, but he also learns the ins and outs of prison life, so to speak. Uh, and as he begins to adjust, things take a turn for the worst when a gangster's nephew that has a grudge against him ends up in the same cell block. So that kind of sets up the um, the overall story arc. You have this character Nelson, who's um, basically played off as a ultra-rich kid, 20-something, um, parties all the time, drives a Maserati, doesn't have to worry about anything. Anytime he's in trouble, his mom takes care of it. Um, so he's super rich, He's not really associated with any of the big-name tycoons here, but um, you get the idea that he's up at that kind of, of level. Uh, he lives that kind of lifestyle. He has no sense of responsibility. Um, he says he's deeply in love with his, uh, his girlfriend, but he has girls on the side. He has a regular girl that he pays like a $50,000 a month salary to just to be sort of his backup girlfriend. Um, and one of the things that ends up happening is what one night at a party, he ends up sleeping with um, the guy who ends up becoming the antagonist of the film, this guy, Jack. Uh, he ends up sleeping with his girlfriend, and that kind of sets up um, the antagonism between these two girlfriends. Uh, but it's kind of played off as a little bit as, as a comedy of errors in, in some ways. It, it never really tries to get as serious as a 
as a common genre prison movie might. Um, so this film is kind of fun with some really great callbacks, especially to the Prison on Fire movies, if you're familiar with those. Um, and it really helps that this film has a lot of cameos by veterans, including um, actors like Elvis Tsui, um, Vincent Wan, and uh, Tommy Wong, uh, among others, who um, many of them appeared in the um, earlier Prison on Fire movies. So the comedy here, I think, is very well done. It's very funny. They've got some really great gags. Um, I learned a lot. I love it when I learn things from movies. Um, in this movie, I learned, for example, what a joy bag is. And I'm not going to spoil that for you. You let your imaginations kind of run wild. You've got men isolated in a prison, and you've got this thing called a joy bag. So uh, I'll let your brains work on that. But watch the movie if you really want to find out what it is because it's kind of interesting to see um you know how how this thing comes about they've got a thing in here called purling i'm also not going to get into that because we <laughs> it's just not something <laughs> i want to discuss on the show but watch the movie and you'll learn exactly what purling is um the great thing too is they've got a bunch of modern canto slang in here I mean, really kind of up-to-date, current Canto slang, stuff that um, is used as a form of banter back and forth on the Golden Forum. This is stuff that my students would, you know, recognize in a heartbeat, um, especially the ones who spend more of their time there than they do studying. But uh, this is, a lot of it's very new to me, um, and I think a lot of it will be very new to our listening audience. So it's it's worth the price of admission just to catch up on some of this very modern canto slang that they use. And I really need a second viewing to kind of go back and, and, and catch it all. There was some that I was even asking my wife about. I was like, uh, you know, I heard this term in the movie. What does it mean? And she's like, I don't know, because she doesn't spend time on Golden Forum, right? Because that's how, you know, that's how, how niche some of this stuff is. It's very niche. It's very new. And it's starting to filter out to pop culture. Paul, Paul, this is where, where, you know, I would have been like your perfect seatmate. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And and so after you, because you haven't seen the film yet, you're going, actually, you're, you're, you're heading out to a screening the day after we record this. So I'm trying to keep yes. this a little bit spoiler free uh, for Mr. Ma's sake, but I'll be very interested to hear your take on it uh, a little bit later once you've seen it. Oh, uh, oh please do tell me about Perling. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm going to leave that <laughs> as a surprise for you and let you just uh, enjoy that to the fullest. Um, but yeah, so it really tries to keep it light and, and fairly fun. Um, if you watch the trailer, you kind of get, you know, the, the sense of that. The film does get into a serious side, though, once the antagonist, uh, Jack comes in and he gets, um, kind of assigned to this ward. Um, by this point in the film, Nelson has kind of learned the ropes and he's kind of established himself you know, within, within the prison um, and then Jack kind of comes in and, and disrupts this thing. Um, and in truth, I mean, this the, the arc is kind of predictable. Um, this is kind of the one downside of the film for me, is that you get, you, you kind of understand where the arc's going to go. Nelson, he's this spoiled rich kid. He's going to go in and he's going to meet some guys and they're going to straighten him out. He's going to find like an Obi-Wan Kenobi type character, which he does, you know, who who gives him the ins and outs, not just of prison, but of life. And so by the end of it all, you know, he's transformed and he's back out and he's no longer the person he was, you know, at the start of this experience. Um, and so that's 
to be expected. And because it's to be expected, it's the really the least interesting aspect. Now, Gregory Wong himself, um, as an actor, I think this is really his first starring role. I mean, um, Kevin, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Looking over his his filmography, I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in Do West or Sex Journey, Lang Kwai Fong 2. Um, he's got some stuff on here that I don't think's ever even been released. He's got a movie from last year called The Lodge in the Woods that is listed as a Hong Kong film, but I don't remember seeing it come out last year. And it's done by a director, uh, Gary Tang Tak Hei. And I don't know who this director is, but he's done a couple films with uh, Gregory um, in the lead, and I don't know where these films are. He's got another one in 2013 um, called Tomorrow the World Ends. Um, that's listed as a China movie, but never seen it on the shelves here. would be interesting to kind of try and track those down. Um, but his filmography kind of goes back to uh, the mid uh, mid 2000s uh, with films like Beauty on Duty, Love and a Puff, uh, Legend of the Fist. He was a cop in. Uh, yeah, he was a cop in Love and a Puff. Yeah, yeah. So he's got you know minor roles he here and there. I think this, though this is really his first sort of big lead role, and he handles it really well. He's funny. He's got you know good comedic timing. His reactions are good. Um, he pulls off some of the serious moments very well, um, but it, the, again, the main problem is is that you, ex you you come to expect where his character is going to go, so it's not really um, that that surprising um, in terms of what they're trying to do. What's really fun is everything else that goes on in the film, um, spotting the cameos by um, all the great actors who are here um, in the prison. Um, learning about, you know, um, the culture of the prison, the economics of the prison. I mean, they go into great detail about how cigarettes become the new economy within the prison and how this translates to the economy sort of outside uh, of the prison. It's really kind of kind of interesting. I don't know how much of it's really accurate and how much they were kind of bending around going for gags, but I got to think that some of it is, you know, was researched, and, and there is some level of authenticity here. Um, so, yeah, that, that part for me was was the best, seeing the sort of the prison culture um, as, as they kind of go through their day-to-day -day routines and how things get done. Um, the real delight for me, though, was Tommy Wong, who is kind of the big brother. He plays uh, Brother Sito in the film, and he's kind of like... The guy who keeps the block in line. Uh, he's an inmate, but he, you know, he's been there a while, and he's the guy who doesn't want to get out. His idea is that if I ever get out, I'm just going to do whatever I can to get right back in because this is my comfort zone, basically. Um, but you've also got notable appearances by people like Ken Lo, um, Patrick Kung, um, and you know, just a, just a bunch of others. I thought at some point I saw Andy on as one of the inmates, but I think I confused it with somebody else because he's not listed uh, over in the uh, in the database as part of the cast. Um, but just a lot of recognizable faces that you're going to be, you know, uh, saying, oh, I, you know, I recognize that guy from older films. I recognize this guy from more recent films. Um, who's the, who's the, what, the guy, what is his name? Baby John? Yeah, Baby uh, John. Baby John's in it. And he's got, he, he does a really, really, I mean, good role. He's, his name's kind of silly, you know, kind of like Angela Baby. But he's got a really, really um, good role. And I could perhaps see him up for uh, a supporting actor nomination later. Um, Liu Kai-Chi is in it. He's kind of like the Ben Kenobi character. 
Um, and he's got, he, he has some really nice moments too. He could possibly be up for a Best Supporting Actor role uh, as well uh, come awards time next year. Um, but yeah, it's really, uh, for me, again, the, the, the culture, the economics, the, the slang, all of that made the film really fun, uh, really interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again because it's one of those films where I think you get more out of it. Um, the you know on on repeated viewings, it, it is a category three film, and I do think that is mostly because of some implied acts. Um, there's a bit of violence, but it's nothing uh, overtly violence. This isn't you know um, this isn't a, a really su- uber violent prison movie. It's not about abusing inmates or anything like that. Um, and there are some again nice callbacks to. Uh, earlier prison films like prison on fire there is some sexy time here but it is all done with clothes on um and really the only nudity we kind of get is gregory wong um running naked through the streets at one point um and i think some of the language that they use the slang language um is also perhaps one of the reasons for the the cat three rating so um don't look at this as kind of a a prison exploitation movie or, um, you know, a sexy time movie because it's not that. Uh, that's not why it has the Category 3 rating. Um, and, yeah, it's, I think Gregory Wong is actually in one of the Lang Kwai Fong movies. I think he was in Lang Kwai Fong too. And even though um, you do get a bit of sexy time, there's nowhere near as much skin as in the Lang Kwai Fong uh, movies. So that just gives you an idea that this is not a Category 3 movie um, with sexy time involved. Um, so yeah, despite all that, despite the predictable act of the protagonist, I think this is a really good film. It's really one of the better films to come out this year so far. Um, I really enjoyed it in terms of the performances and the culture. So, uh, if you've seen the Prison on Fire films, if that's something that, uh, you know, is, is in your memory banks as uh, a piece of classic Hong Kong cinema, this is one that I really think you would enjoy, um, even though you may not know Gregory Wong is an actor you'll recognize a bunch of the other people and you'll you'll get a kick out of it. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit kongcast.com for more. Right. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. Uh, Twitter, we're also over there at twitter.com slash concast. And you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. Leave us some feedback, go to the website, give us some comments, tell us you love us, tell us you hate us. You know, Let us know what you think. Um, you can also find us, of course, over on the Facebooks and uh, leave us some thoughts over there if you would. But I do urge you to follow Kevin and his ventures, whether they are here in Hong Kong or over in the French Riviera or wherever they may be. Uh, Kevin, where can people check out what you're doing? Well, daily, um, I I do update news uh, in the Asian film industry on Film Business Asia. You can find that on www.filmbiz.asia. That's F-I-L-M-B-I-Z. Um, you could follow me on Twitter, where I am the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Um, 
and you can email me at kevin at filmbiz.asia or uh you can try and stalk me on the other social media if you can find me all right and i do urge you to do that uh let me throw a little bit of love out to some fellow podcasters i had the good fortune of being on joel duggan's podcast the citadel cafe uh that episode hasn't been posted i was on a couple days ago and uh, it'll be posted I guess a few days after this recording, uh, that is episode 149, and we are talking all about um, this past week's Game of Thrones, which I believe was uh, episode 7 for season 5. So uh, big thanks to him for having me on. I love uh, talking about Game of Thrones with him, and there's some other geeky stuff that we get into. Um, Talked a little bit about the Legend of Korra book 4 finale. And so yeah, check that out if you're interested in uh, either of those things. Um, and there's a new Hong Kong podcast out there that I want to throw out a quick mention to. If you are somebody who follows us because you just love um, Hong Kong and uh, you know hearing people from Hong Kong talk about stuff, um, there's a podcast that's kind of similar to this one. It centers on film. They talk about films both from Hollywood and from Hong Kong. And it is called Mofo's Ice Skating Uphill. Um, they, you can go to their website, just look for that mofos, that's M O F O S ice skating uphill, and you'll find their blog site and you can find them on iTunes. And, uh, they actually go into why they call themselves that it's a movie related reference. Um, those of you who've seen blade should remember it. Um, but they get into that on their website. They tend to focus a little bit more on to the Hollywood side of things. Um, but they have an interesting perspective because they're all living here in Hong Kong. And they do talk about a couple Hong Kong films as well. So go and check them out and support them. Support Hong Kong podcasts because uh, there just are not enough of us around to be sure. Uh, next show, episode 164. Probably going to be talking about the new film coming from uh, Feng Bobo, uh, Wonder Mama. Um, which uh, if you haven't seen the trailer, go look at it because it is definitely awards bait stuff. Uh, all about uh, older generations of actors arguing and living together. Um, so that looks, looks good for a good cry uh, in the coming week. Uh, I think that's the only thing coming out this week, if I'm correct. Is that right, Kevin? I think so. And yeah. honestly, I don't think many people will, anyone will watch that film. Oh, you don't think it's going to be a, going to no. draw them out? You don't think it's going to be like another little uh, big master kind of thing? No, just there's no attention for the film, and Cliff, and it's been delayed forever. And Clifton Co is is known too well as a as a pro government figure. So um, yeah, it's not. Yeah, sorry. Well, I'm gonna check it out, and we'll probably be talking about that next time. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Green West Green podcast saying we wish you an early parole, and we'll see you next time. Uh, see you next time, everybody, from the hole. Is that from the uh, hole? You know the the hole. We're solitary. Oh, okay. Solitary. I don't know. I just, I just made that up. <laughs> Prison slang, right here. You heard it first. <laughs> <laughs>